Uh, I'm going to start just by reading two pages of this book, uh, The Life-Changing Magic of Tiding by Murray Kondo. This is the routine that I follow every day when I return from work. First, I unlock the door and announce to my house, I'm home. Picking up the pair of shoes I wore yesterday and left out in the hall, I say, thank you very much for your hard work, and I put them away in the shoe cupboard. Then I take off the shoes I wore today and place them neatly in the hall. Heading to the kitchen, I put the kettle on and go to my bedroom. There, I lay my handbag gently on the soft sheepskin rug and take off my outdoor clothes. I put my jacket and dress on a hanger and say, good job, and hang them temporarily from the wardrobe doorknob. I put my tights in the laundry basket that fits into the bottom right corner of my cupboard. I open a drawer, select the clothes that I feel like wearing indoors and get dressed. I greet the waist-high potted plant by the window and stroke its leaves. My next task is to empty the contents of my handbag on the rug and put each item away in its place. First, I remove all the receipts. Then I put my purse in its designated box in a drawer under my bed with a word of gratitude. I place my train pass and my business card holder beside it. I put my wristwatch in a pink antique case in the same drawer and place my necklace and earrings on the accessory tray beside it. Before closing the drawer, I say, thanks for all you did for me today. Next, I return to the hall and I put away the books and notebooks I carried around all day. I've converted a shelf of my shoe cupboard into a bookshelf. From the shelf below it, I take out my receipt pouch and put my receipts in it. Then I put my digital camera that I use for work in the space beside it, which is reserved for electrical things. Papers that I've finished with go in the recycling box beneath the kitchen range. In the kitchen, I make a pot of tea while checking the mail, throwing the letters I've finished with away. I return to my bedroom, put my empty handbag in a bag, and put it on top of the shelf of the wardrobe, saying, you did well, have a good rest. From the time I get into the door to the moment I close the wardrobe, a total of only five minutes has passed. Now I can go back to the kitchen, pour myself a cup of tea and relax. Uh, Marie Kondo started reading Housewives magazines from the age of five and she loved the, the order and the beauty and of the well-organised spaces that she saw in them. From the age of 15, she started studying tidying seriously. Um, she started with her own bedroom and moved on to her siblings. Uh, then she ran a highly successful business in Tokyo, helping clients to transform their cluttered homes into spaces of beauty and peace and inspiration. So her book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tiding, has sold now over 3 million copies. Um, it's got a different name there because it's translated from a Japanese book. Uh, she, she's written more books to further teach and explain the big idea of this book as well. Um, she's even released comic books about tidying up, and she's the superhero, of course. Uh, following her book's success, Netflix have just released on New Year's Day the eight-episode series called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, where the girl from Tokyo heads into the amazing world of American houses and homes to change people's lives. Uh, this morning, I want to describe to you what her big idea really is in the book, um, with a few details of her how-tos and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I will give you some reflections that I have on it along the way. But I just want to preface all of this by saying, um, first, Marie Kondo is crazy. Okay? Marie Kondo is crazy. She's living and working in a very particular environment. Um, as I read out that section from the book, you'll notice that when she gets home, she doesn't greet children 
she greets her plants and, and that sort of thing. Uh, since, since writing the book, though, and the Netflix series, she's, she's had kids. She might have been married before that or had a partner, but she's, she's got kids now in the, the TV show. Um, but in the book, at least, her life is very contained and ordered. Uh, it is a very specific environment. You know, she, she, she talks to her jacket, okay? She, she's anxious about how much sleep her socks are getting, because uh, they're the hard workers for the day, so you've got to fold them right and give them a good rest. So she's nuts. Um, the second thing I'll say, though, is I love this book. Uh, it's so good. It's awesome. I'd recommend it to everyone. It's better than reading Barefoot Investor or anything. That's a waste of time. Don't worry about that stuff. Um, the Netflix episodes are excellent, too. They, they add another dimension to the material in her book. Um, you get to see her apply this principled stuff into real people's lives. So as I'm describing her idea and her book, I just want to make sure that you know that I know she's crazy and you're not thinking he's crazy. Um, you know, she thinks that objects have souls like this chair and she greets pot plants um, and, and she prays to houses as well. So here they are um, kneeling down at the start of the process just to greet the house and pray to it. And Americans are great because they're so enthusiastic about everything. They're just like, oh, wow, I love that. That's great. And... Um, it's so good. There was, there's a guy in one of the episodes who says, ah, I love to greet houses, and he's like, wow. <laughs> and he gets it, um, but she doesn't get it. But he, but he doesn't mind, because he's like, I'm getting a tidy house out of this, so we'll go through with anything. Um, has anyone watched the show yet? Yeah, cool. And, yeah, and maybe read the book as well. Or the, has anyone got the comic book at home? I don't. Cool. So let's, uh, let's have a look at her life-changing discovery and the way that we'll do this is I'll sort of go back and forward with a bit of me talking and a bit of reading bits out of the book so you can hear what she actually has to say about some particular pieces um, rather than just ranting and giving you my opinions all the time. Um, I will give you a, a few brief thoughts mainly at the end though as well. And also we're not selling this book. It's not an advertisement. If you wanted to buy it, which you should, um, get it from, go to booko.com.au. You should use that website for all your books anyway because it just searches all of the online bookstores and shows you the cheapest one booko.com.au, buy it there. Um, or you could get it from a friend because you're meant to throw it out when you're finished with it. So find someone who's read it and take their copy, do them a favour and take their copy from them. Afterwards, you can have mine afterwards. Uh, so what's Kondo's big idea then? This is a big idea. It's just tidy once and properly. Uh, you see this idea in the subtitle of her book, which is a simple, effective way to banish clutter forever. She's a, she's a massive critic of sort of chipping away and tidying a little bit every day. She doesn't like those plans where you throw out one thing on day one, two things on day two, until in six months down the track, you're buying hundreds and thousands just so you have enough stuff to throw out the next day. Um, has anyone tried the one thing day one, two things on day two before? A few people might have. Um, she doesn't like that stuff. She doesn't like changing your tidying method to suit your personality. Um, She's against upgrading the storage in your house just to hide all of your clutter in. She doesn't like that as an idea. Um, her big idea is that you aim for perfection. You aim for perfection. I heard Andrew say on Monday with parenting, don't aim to be a perfect parent who raises perfect kids. Well, tidying is obviously different. You can aim... She has a chapter in here called Aim for Perfection. Okay, so, so it's a different thing. Um, Kondo says that if you tidy once and properly, you don't ever need to do it again. 
So li listen to her, her say this herself. Read another couple of pages. Here we go. Tidying never lies. The ultimate secret of success is this. If you tidy up in one go, rather than little by little, you can dramatically change your mindset. This brings about a change so profound that it touches your emotions and will irresistibly affect your way of thinking and your lifestyle habits. My clients do not develop the habit of tidying gradually. Every one of them has been clutter-free since they began their tidying marathon. The approach, this approach is the key to preventing rebound. When people return to clutter, no matter how much they tidy, it's not their room or their belongings, but their way of thinking that is at fault. Even if they are initially inspired, they struggle to stay motivated and their efforts peter out. The root cause lies in the fact that they can't see the results or feel the effects. This is precisely why success depends on experiencing tangible results immediately. If you use the right method and concentrate your efforts on eliminating clutter thoroughly and completely within a short span of time, you'll see instant results that will empower you to keep your space in order ever after. Anyone who experiences this process, no matter who they are, will vow to never revert to clutter again. She makes that claim repeatedly throughout her book. So if you tidy once and properly, it will be the last time you ever need to tidy. That's a big claim. Uh, you need to aim for perfection. And so conceptually, idealistically, that just makes sense, doesn't it? Um, if you can make your house look perfect, then you won't mess it up again. Any little thing out of place will just stick out to you and beg to be put away. And you'll have needed to cultivate a tidying mindset along the way um, that will stay with you over time. But realistically, how do you do it? What are the steps to, to tidying once and properly? Uh, Kondo does this work as a consultant, so she visits people's houses and she leads them in tidying their house once properly. Uh, it takes a few days and you'll see from some of the Netflix series it can take weeks as well. Uh, some people send their kids away to their grandparents for a weekend or a week. But more significant than the, the amount of time that it takes is the method. Uh, he has a two-step foolproof method for achieving perfection. Of course, the book goes into heaps of detail onto each of those two steps, um, but they really are just two steps. So it's discard first and store later. So storing is the second step there, which is important. She, she mentioned earlier that she hates the idea of buying more storage um, and just shuffling your stuff into it. That'll inevitably make its way back out to the rest of your house again. So we'll, we'll listen to her and what she has to say about it. Uh, the book's great because she keeps giving an insight into her own journey to a tidy house from being a teenager. But an avid fan of Housewives magazine since kindergarten, every time I read a feature on how to put things away, I had to try out every suggestion immediately. I made drawers out of tissue boxes and I broke my piggy bank to purchase nifty storage items. In junior high, on my way home from school, I would drop in at a DIY store or browse at a magazine stand to check out the latest products. In high school, I even once called up the manufacturer of some particularly intriguing items and pestered the receptionist to tell me the story of how they were invented. I dutifully used these storage items to organise my things. Then I would stand and admire my handiwork, content with how convenient the world had become. From this experience, I can honestly declare that storage methods do not solve the problem of how to get rid of clutter. In the end, they are only a superficial answer. 
When I finally came to my senses, I saw that my room still wasn't tidy, even though it was full of magazine racks, bookshelves, drawer dividers, and other storage units of every kind. Why does my room still feel cluttered when I've worked so hard to organise and store things away, I wondered. Filled with despair, I looked at the contents of each storage unit and had a flash of revelation. I didn't need most of the things that were in them. Although I thought that I'd been tidying, in fact, I had merely been wasting my time shoving stuff out of sight, concealing things I didn't need under a lid. Putting things away just creates the illusion that the clutter problem has been solved. But sooner or later, all the storage units are full, the room once again overflows with things, and some new and easy storage method becomes necessary, creating a negative spiral. This is why tidying must start with discarding. We need to exercise self-control and resist storing our belongings until we've finished identifying what we really want and need to keep. So there's no point thinking about where to put your things until you've worked out which things you want to put in the bin first. And of course, if you're planning a whole week of tidying your home in one mammoth effort, uh, you'll be throwing a bunch of things out that you've been ignoring for years. After doing that, of course, you'll need less storage than you would have beforehand. But I think here's where Kondo's truly genius idea comes into play. So you're, you're tidying once properly and you're discarding first and storing later. But how do you work out what to discard? Kondo, he, she mourns the fact that schools will teach people how to read and write and cook and build but there are no electives on how to work out what to discard from your home. Can you believe that? What are our schools doing with their times? No classes on discarding. And so this is Kondo's question. Does it spark joy? Does it spark joy? Well, I think that this question is brilliant. It's tacky, but it's brilliant. Uh, it's brilliant first because the answer is so clear. It's just yes or no. And if the answer is yes, you keep it. If it's no, you throw it out, you discard it. No hesitation, it's absolute clarity. But it's even more brilliant because it ha how it gets to the point of what you want with your stuff. So have a listen to her describe it here. I came to the conclusion that the best way to choose what to keep and what to throw away is to take each item in one's hand and ask, does this spark joy? If it does, keep it. If not, throw it out. This is not only the simplest, but also the most accurate yardstick by which to judge. You may wonder about the effectiveness of such a vague criterion, but the trick is to handle each item. Don't just open up your wardrobe and decide after a cursory glance that everything in it gives you a thrill. You must take each outfit in your hand. When you touch a piece of clothing, your body reacts. Its response to each item is different. Trust me and try it. I chose this standard for a reason. After all, what is the point in tidying? If it's not so that our space and things in it can bring us happiness, then I think there's no point at all. Therefore, the best criterion for choosing what to keep and what to discard is whether keeping it will make you happy, whether it will bring you joy. Are you happy wearing clothes that don't give you pleasure? Do you feel joy when surrounded by piles of unread books that don't touch your heart? Do you think that owning accessories you know you'll never use will ever bring you happiness? The answer to all of these questions should be no. Now imagine yourself living in a space that contains only things that spark joy. Isn't this the lifestyle that you dream of? 
Keep only those things that speak to your heart, then take the plunge and discard all the rest. By doing this, you can reset your life and embark on a new lifestyle. I think it's brilliant because it is vague and flexible. Uh, There are a million different reasons that something might spark joy in me. Maybe because it's of sentimentality. Probably not for me. Maybe it's because of pragmatics. So, for example, the T-shirts that I own spark joy in me for different reasons. One T-shirt sparks joy in me because it's ridiculously comfortable. Another one because it's warm. Another one because it's cool. Another one because it goes with every every pair of pants and shorts that I own. And a lot of them, almost all of them, spark joy in me because by having them, I don't need to buy another shirt. I don't need to spend the time or the money on another shirt. And that sparks joy in me, because I'm just like, great, out of my mind. Now, does this spark joy? I think it's such a flexible question that works for everyone, moulding to fit our circumstances and our personality and our own values and priorities as well. You really see this in the Netflix series. So the before and after photos of people's houses, they're really interesting to look at, because they haven't all got their houses to the point where they look like they should be in an interior design website. None of their houses look perfect to me. So one couple had ridiculous amounts of clothes that they owned, and they got rid of a lot of them. They put them in big black garbage bags, and there were dozens and dozens and dozens of them that they're getting rid of from their house. Uh, But clothes spark heaps of joy in particularly one member of that couple, and they still ended up with multiple wardrobes full of clothes. I would hate that. I would hate that so much. But they just kept the ones that sparked joy for them. It's a really flexible criteria for working out what you want to discard. I think this is why an inflexible system, like throw one thing out on day one and two things on day two, just just doesn't make sense. It's not moulded to individuals. Or, you know, you should only own seven tops and one fry pan and one fishing rod or something like that. Um, It's not flexible. So I think this criteria of sparking joy or what makes you happy is actually an excellent question. It works really well. Now, I'm going to keep talking, but does anyone have questions at that point about what I've said so far? Yeah, Jackie. So the super pragmatic stuff, Jackie was asking uh, the the peeler or a spoon or something like that in the kitchen doesn't spark joy in you. Kondo would say, throw it out. So I'll just represent her by saying that's what she would say, throw it out. You might... Um, be able to work with the flexibility of sparking joy. If you need a peeler, and if you throw this one out, you've got to buy another one, I'd be happy about having this peeler. I'd keep that peeler. Yeah. But you work it out. Any other questions? Isaac, if most things spark joy. Yeah, so what if most things spark... And you pointed at your wife when you said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I saw that. Um, well, Kondo would say, then you keep most things. This is, I guess this is the flexibility of it. And the couple that I mentioned in the show, most of this um, couple's clothes sparked joy in them. And so they kept, I feel like they still kept most of them, even though they threw out 56 bags of them. Yep. So it's flexible. It's flexible. So if, you, if you're minimalistic in the way you like keeping things, you'll have a lot less stuff than the person who loves decorations or something like that. So it's flexible, which is great um, until you live with someone else and their flexible isn't the same as your flexible. (laughs) Any other questions? Yeah. Yeah. So just noting that everyone in the house sort of has to buy in on this. Um, She talks about when she was growing up, she tidied her siblings' rooms without their permission and so would throw out their stuff and worked out um, 
It took her a little while to work out. That wasn't a good idea. Uh, and so she talks that through. Um, and yeah, you, could, you can do bits and pieces on your own. You could say, you're responsible for this bit. You're, you could work that out. But yeah, you can't, you're not allowed to throw other people's stuff out. Yeah. She also says you don't have to tell people when you throw out the gifts that they gave you. So your mum gave you a gift and you're like, thanks, mum. Don't tell your family. It only goes badly. Just hide it. Hide that from them. I'll keep going. I'll keep going. Um, so we're tidying properly once. We're doing that by discarding first, storing later. We've used the question, does this spark joy to work out what to discard? Um, there's another layer to, to work out what to discard. Um, it's the don't tidy one room at a time, tidy one category at a time. I'll read this bit out. Don't start selecting and discarding by location. Don't think, I'll tidy the bedroom first and then move on to the living room. Or, I'll go through my drawers one by one, starting from the top down. This approach is fatal. Fatal. Uh, why? Because, as we learnt earlier, most people don't bother to store similar items in the same place. In the majority of households, items that fall into the same category are stored in two or more places scattered around the house. Say, for example, you start... Yeah, toys. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Say, for example, you start with the bedroom, wardrobe or cupboard. After you finish sorting and discarding everything in it, you are bound to come across clothes you kept in a different cupboard or a coat draped over a living room chair. You'll then have to repeat the whole process of choosing and storing, wasting time and effort, and you cannot make an accurate assessment of what you want to keep and discard under such conditions. Repetition and wasted effort can kill motivation, and therefore it must be avoided. For this reason, I recommend that you always think in terms of category, not place. Before choosing what to keep, collect everything that falls within the same category at one time. Take every last item out and lay everything in one spot. To demonstrate the steps, let's go back to the example of clothing. You start by deciding that you're going to organise and put away your clothes. The next step is to search every room of the house, bring every piece of clothing you find to the same place and spread them out on the floor. So in another place in the book she says, go to the washing machine, get the wet clothes out of the washing machine, bring them as well, find everything, everything in this category. Then pick up each outfit and see if it sparks joy. You might want to dry the clothes to test if they spark joy at this point, but um, pick each of them up. Those and only those are the ones to keep. Follow this procedure for every category. If you have too many clothes, you can make subcategories such as tops, bottoms, socks, etc. and examine your clothes one subcategory at a time. Gathering everything in one place is essential to this process because it gives you an accurate grasp of how much you have. Most people are shocked at the sheer volume, which is often at least twice what they imagined. By collecting things in one spot, you can also compare items that are similar in design, making it easier to decide if you want to keep them. I have another good reason for removing all items in the same category from drawers, wardrobes and cupboards and spreading them out on the floor. Things stored out of sight are dormant. That makes it much harder to decide if they inspire joy or not. By exposing them to the light of day and jolting them alive, so to speak, I think there's an important so to speak there, uh, jolting them alive, so to speak, you'll find it's surprisingly easy to judge if they touch your heart. Dealing with just one category within a single time frame speeds up the tidying process, so make sure to gather every item in the category you're working on. Don't let any slip by unnoticed. This approach gives you some great scenes in the Netflix series. 
uh, where people build mountains on top of their beds. Um, this is one member of the family's clothes. Uh, and they, they touch the ceiling. Like, they're great. They're great scenes, worth watching just for those. It's good stuff. And, and of course, she has an optimal order of categories as well. So she always uses clothes as an example because they're the best, best place to start. Um, I'll just read about her optimal order. Is a short one. The process of deciding what to keep and what to discard will go much more smoothly if you begin with items that are easier to make decisions about. As you gradually work toward the harder categories, you'll be honing your decision-making skills. Clothes are the easiest because their rarity value is extremely low. Photographs and letters, on the other hand, not only have a high sentimental value, but are also one of a kind. Therefore, they should be left until last. This is true for photographs in particular, because they tend to turn up at random while sorting through other categories and in the most unexpected places, such as between books and papers. The best sequence is this. So it's clothes first, then books, papers, miscellaneous items, uh, which in the show, in the book, she calls kimono, which is a Japanese word that means miscellaneous items. And lastly, sentimental items and keepsakes. This order has also proven to be the most efficient in terms of the level of difficulty for the subsequent task of storing. Um, finally, sticking to this sequence sharpens our intuitive sense of what items spark joy inside us. So the order there, clothes, books, papers, miscellaneous and sentimental items. Uh, miscellaneous needs to be a pretty big category, I think. Um, if those five categories are going to include everything in your house, so cooking appliances, camping gear, family members, garage tools, that sort of thing. Um, but the, the principle works. Start with easy categories, hone your skills, finish with the more emotionally valuable and rare items. I think it's a pretty good system. Does, does anyone have questions about the process so far? Another little opportunity? Anything you want to ask about? Her categories, one at a time. It does work. So this is a, a great example of getting family ownership in it, doing it together, not throwing things out on other people's behalf. I'm just saying that um, she gets four kids in a two-bedroom house, gets all the clothes on the bed for the kids. You pick out the clothes that you like. You pick out the toys that you like, do them a category at a time, and helps them buy in on that. And you're not sort of just enforcing this is what you'll wear on them. Yeah, and so they like the things that they keep. Yeah, great. Great testimony of how it works. It's good. Has anyone else done it, gone through the whole process? One, two, three. A few, a few half, yep. Half, tidy once and properly. Get this right. Um, for our family, we haven't completed it. For our family, clothes, books and papers are pretty fast. Um, but we just have other priorities and stuff to do. So... I have a feeling that we'll be perpetually stuck on miscellaneous, and that'll be the case. Um, and all of our photos are saved online. I'm not sentimental, so those categories are easy. Miscellaneous will just never get done. Um, not being sentimental is great because you can sort of dress it up however you want. I'd rather spend time with the people than the photographs of the people. Yeah, that's, that's what we'll do. Um, yeah, so it hasn't been a big enough priority for us to get through the whole lot, but I'd like to. I'd like, it'd be nice. So that's, that's all I'll describe from the book in particular this morning. She's got stuff on storing there as well, um, but you're not allowed to skip the discarding step. And once you've thrown out most of your stuff, storage is actually pretty easy. 
Uh, she says that you'll tend to find you have plenty of storage space and, and you'll be fine. And she has heaps of tips on um, how to fold things well so they fit nicely uh, and uh, things like, as a general principle, it looks nicer if things rise to the right. So your books put the smallest ones on the left and the tallest ones on the right and that's pleasing to the eye. She's got heaps of little bits and pieces like that uh, that you might like to read through. The last thing I want to say though is that um, I love this book. I love this book, particularly the technique that she uses. Um, does this spark joy is such a good, good question. Um, but the whole idea of getting your house in order so that you're surrounded only by things that, that make you happy, I think it, it begs a massive question. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor here. This bit's coming. Here it is. It's fine. Um, I, I think it does matter, though. So here's a, here's a thought. This whole book reminds me of a time when a man talk to Jesus about his inheritance. He's like, can you sort out this fight I'm having over my inheritance? And Jesus warned him and said, um, watch out for all types of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. This, this book feels like it's sort of counter-consumerist, you know, consumerist where you just buy heaps of stuff to keep making you happy. And so it feels good. It feels good to, to be anti-consumerist. Um, but it's still a philosophy of life sitting behind the, the practical stuff there, it's still a philosophy of life that says having the right stuff uh, and only the right stuff is ultimately how to be happy. Um, but I, I think Jesus is right here. Life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions or having an abundance of possessions that spark joy in you. There's more to life than just stuff. So read a Bible for yourself, stick your head into church anytime, uh, come and think about that. It's heaps more important to, to look after your life than your house. So that's what I want to say. But it doesn't take anything away from the fact that I think that this book and Marie Kondo's technique is a really good way to tidy your house. I think it's excellent. Um, so if it would spark joy for you, feel free to come and take my copy home. I don't need it anymore. Um, maybe I should keep it for the sake of sentimentality. No, I won't do that. I'm done with it. Um, someone come take it. Come up and say hi. Um, thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of your morning.